Welcome back to Sanchiro's Boys. This is your co-host, Tim Amatuli. And I'm Chris Cote. And now we are entering Kurosawa's Prime, the first of 16 collaborations with Toshiro Mifune, Drunken Angel from 1948. Hell yeah. I'm hyped. Now for the good movies. <laughs> I thought I didn't like the other ones. The third time it could be referred to as his quote-unquote first film. So what's some background on this film? So Toshiro Mifune, prior to working at Toho, was a soldier in the Japanese military. And then after World War II, he became a uh, cameraman in Toho Studio. So he wasn't even an actor at the time. One of his friends submitted his headshot for some casting call, and he wound up getting sucked into that. That's so good. It's just funny that he's too hot for his own good. Yeah, it was literally fate dictating that he become an actor. His friend was like, Toshiro, you're too fucking hot. You're going to be in movies. You gotta be a star. (laughs) So he was auditioning for a different Kajiro Yamamoto film, and Kurosawa saw him do it. And he said in his autobiography, he's like, I'm not the kind to be impressed by actors, but I've never been as blown away by one as I was watching him. The average Japanese actor needs 10 feet of film to convey an emotion. He only needs three, stuff like that. Yeah, truly simping for this man. Yeah, he he was mega simping for Mifune, as are we, and as should we. He wound up getting sucked into this, and then Kurosawa said, I have to get this guy for Drunken Angel, the screenplay he was writing with his friend, who he um, did One Wonderful Sunday with, too. It's the same screenwriting team here. Yeah, you can kind of tell there's a difference. This was the beginning of Toshiro Mifune and Kurosawa's long partnership. Is it, like, truly his first film? It is not his first film, but it's his first, like, major. This is, like, his breakout. He just, I mean, we'll talk about it. He so takes over this film because he's such a strong presence. You would know that you're looking at a major star. I mean, not only of Japanese cinema, of world cinema. Truly one of the most recognizable, iconic, and greatest actors to ever grace the screen. We can get into the movie. Also worth noting, one of the first movies to actually tackle Yakuza subject matter in film. All really recent, 1948. I mean, we're only a few years out from the war, and the Yakuza really spawn out of the post-war hectic world that they're now living in. Yeah, yeah, competing for power. That makes sense. Kurosawa really does not like them. Yeah, he goes off. He really wanted to dissect them with a screenplay. In a rundown Tokyo town surrounded by a polluted pond, Alcoholic Dr. Sonata attends to a Yakuza member named Matsunuga. He discovers that the man has tuberculosis and becomes insistent on helping him. Matsunuga repeatedly refuses help but eventually accepts it. Yakuza leader Okada returns from prison and begins seeking out Sonata's assistant, Mio, and steals Matsunuga's girlfriend, Nene. Matsunuga realizes he has become expendable to the Yakuza and that they will kill Sonata. He confronts Okada and dies in a knife fight. Sonata and a local bartender reflect on his actions as another one of Sonata's patients, a young girl, excitedly tells the doctor that she has beaten tuberculosis. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, (laughs) so that's it. We'll get into our opinions on the film itself. I thought the story was an awesome idea for a story and just like a really cool thing to make a movie about. I definitely agree. I think it's a really cool premise. You really feel like this movie is being made out of a world that he's experiencing and trying to create on screen. The actual set was created for a different movie, so he was repurposing it. Oh, interesting. And he's thinking about, they got this pond, this sump in the middle of the town. I'm keeping track of Kurosawa techniques that I notice in all of this. This definitely has by far the most that I've written down, where I'm just like noticing all of this stuff that he's doing and interjecting. And truthfully, he feels so in control of so much stuff that he's doing in this movie. The pond is such an obvious, huge metaphor for the whole thing. Yeah, and you can tell right from the opening shot, you're just looking at this festering swamp, and the only thing I knew about it before I watched was I read a description briefly that said it's a noir film. And I was like, all right, 
Got it. And then you see the swamp immediately. I was like, oh, shit. You can tell this is just a seedy, shitty area. Like, the swamp is a perfect stand-in for the entire just film as a whole. It's awesome. The entire state of the post-war society, and then also Matsunaga's own internal rot. Yeah. And really, every everybody. Takashi Shimura, we should also mention. Yeah, king. In here, so now the two of them acting together, which they will do many, many times in the future. I was so excited when I saw them together right in the beginning. When he walked, stumbles into his shop, I was like, oh shit, there they are, the two legends together. <laughs> yeah, and it just starts like that immediately. He's a doctor, but he's got his own illnesses. Like, he's an alcoholic. <laughs> like, he's not like a pure doctor. He is really... I'm not letting you get away with that line without <laughs> comment. <laughs> he's a doctor, but he has his own illnesses. <laughs> The sickness is himself. No. The sickness is society. He plays this crust punk doctor who's like doing surgery on himself, just like spitting on people, throwing glasses all over the place. Yeah, like clearly regretting not becoming a baseball player because I wrote down like five different times that he throws things at patients. This is like the wildest doctor character I've ever seen. Even at the end in like a quiet meditation about everything that's happened, he just chucks something into the pond. Yeah, he's always just throwing shit. Yeah, I, I loved him. I was like, what is up with this like rundown doctor? Just so crusty and <laughs> mad about the world. He's like, I don't want to waste painkillers on you because you're trash. Yeah. <laughs> he's like savage. He like roasts everyone and it gets him into trouble because Mifune's character, uh, Matsunaga, hates him for it. Literally everyone he talks to is just like a huge piece of shit too. He's also obviously, like, the best person in the film, besides, like, the little girl or whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's the titular drunken angel, but you wouldn't think that initially because Mifune's acting in this movie is so big, so crazy. I also thought Mifune was going to be the drunken angel. He's the thing that you remember about this. Technically, Shimura really should be the star, but I think it's pretty evenly split between them. Yeah, I mean, I thought Shimura did an amazing job. As usual, he's a great actor. It's just, Mifune is just young and stupid hot and Takashi Shimura is not very good looking <laughs> oh I wouldn't say that he's not given a good look in this movie I mean he's supposed to look like trash yeah well he says himself but yeah in this movie I'm scruffy just how they translate it on the Criterion channel I'm a bear of a man they make a great contrast the movie is really about like their relationship more than anything else when it comes to that though it is just scene after scene of him being like hey can I help you beat tuberculosis which you totally have and he's like oh no and he beats the shit out of him yeah Matsunaga's <laughs> like, like I'll fucking kill you <laughs> If you try and help me one more time, old man, I swear to God. Why the hell does this dude not want to cure tuberculosis? I know, he's so resistant. One of my problems with the film is I was like, what, what is his deal? Like, I don't even get it. I agree with that. I find Matsunaga to be a little hard to sympathize with because it's like, bro, you're dying. Get help. Yeah, like fast. Why are you only attacking? Like, you're only lashing out thinking about it more in the yakuza and everything like you gotta be strong you can't show this kind of weakness i think it makes sense for a while it just keeps happening past an hour in the film and i'm like oh my god i do think the film gets repetitive after like the fourth time that takashi shimura is throwing glasses at him to get out of his (laughs) office each time it is getting progressively worse and when we finally do see him like cough up blood and stuff it is horrific yeah but like and there's like this little girl who's like also fighting tuberculosis and she's like yeah it's not a big deal i'm doing great yeah all you need is rational thinking and he's like see this girl is way braver than you (laughs) he wrecks him (laughs) yeah oh my god i thought the little girl was like perfect in the film just like the sweet really just lovely little girl like all it took was a hard work it's like a parody of like the ideal patient yeah it was nuts (laughs) i guess this is one of the techniques used in the film the opening shot and the opening few shots, I was like, oh, this is sick. You're just looking at the swamp at midnight. There's a guy playing guitar in the distance and there's like extremely low-key lighting. I love that guitar, by the way. Yeah. I love how it's used throughout the movie and it's like the main score of the film for like a long time. Almost entirely this diegetic guitar. 
Is there any non-diegetic music? I think there is some, but I think it's more like emotional back. I'm, I truthfully don't know because I didn't I didn't notice it because it's always this guitar playing, which I think is another really good change of pace from these other ones. Like we haven't had anything like that in all of these other eight films that we've seen before, or I guess six. The music of One Wonderful Sunday was a symphony orchestra at the end, and it was <laughs> this whole thing. It was diegetically in their imagination. <laughs> yeah, wrap your head around that one. And I love the song that plays in the Night Hall too. Oh yeah, that scene was crazy! Wow, 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 wow. The like band goes up, people start moving a little bit, and the camera like zooms up to the lady who's singing, and I was like, whoa, what is going on? This is nuts. And it was like very classic Hollywood to have just like an extended song bit. She's like yelling, they're yelling back. That scene was awesome. I'm like, what is going on? But why is it so catchy? It's so much better than the Rafifi yes, thing of the same. Yes, I agree. Yeah, no, that seems awesome. Don't really have anything interesting to say about it besides it's like very classic Hollywood to have an extended song at a club where you look at the singer for the half the song. That like felt like a Western influence. It definitely felt like a jazzy infusion into this. I totally dug it. I thought it was awesome. Oh, it was, it was the best. I was like, this is so good. I'm having the time of my life here. Drunken Angel also marks the first collaboration between Kurosawa and Fumio Hayasaka, who is the composer for this film, and will be the composer for every one of Kurosawa's films up until I Live in Fear. So for a large portion of this golden age of Kurosawa, all the music is going to come from this guy, and there's going to be a lot of really great compositions. Did he compose the guitar songs? I think that some of the guitar songs are real, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of them are just him coming up with some stuff. I don't I don't totally know the specifics. Probably composed like the melody that plays over and over again because there wasn't much of a score i think that he actually died of tuberculosis oh no which is like foreshadowing oof kurosawa gave it to him to make his life more poetic that would be a big l to take in any regard but it's like especially poignant here the music was perfect i like that it tied into okada and like he shows up to play this song yeah it really made his introduction really slapped unfortunately the film isn't preserved amazingly it looks pretty good but I was thinking if this was actually preserved well, this swamp, like the blacks in this swamp would be so dark and like this scene would just be so good. Like it's a shame his work isn't preserved better because I was like, this is clearly beautifully done. I'm just getting a lot of like film grain, like white splotches on my screen that kind of are taking it out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you had like the Blu-ray, it might come through a little bit better than it is over like a Roku. Yeah, yeah, I'm watching Criterion Channel. I get you. It's the case with early stuff in general. You know, 1948, like we're still within the first decade of him doing stuff and he's had all this crazy consistent output despite major hardships and we're just seeing this upward trend of the films generally getting better getting more professional getting more complicated like i noticed a lot more complicated moves in this one yeah it was just like a complicated story it's really not a black and white like you know good and evil kind of story every character is very very gray everyone's an asshole <laughs> mifune is a huge prick and shady to everyone but also doesn't even really have a heart of gold, but you just can't help but sympathize with him because he's just struggling and just getting the shit beat out of him by life. After watching it and, like, you know, thinking about it and doing research on it and stuff, the thing that's cool is that he's, like, rediscovering himself because he's kind of, like, letting go of this Yakuza ideas that he's had blind him. Yeah, his persona. Part of it is, like, you know, kind of joining it out of necessity and a sense of protection and everything. The movie's like, that's not what that really is. They're extorting you. They specifically, what, what did they say, the Yakuza guys? They were like, we specifically like to get people with lung diseases because they won't last, so they will, like, give their life. Oh, yeah, because then you could just use them as, like, a pawn. Yeah, when they're about to go out and someone's attacking your turf, just send them out on a suicide mission. That's what the big boss said. I'm like, that's so specific. Yeah, that's actually, <laughs> we're not going to talk about the CIA, but... <laughs> 
that's not unfounded. <laughs> if you have tuberculosis, expect the CIA. <laughs> yeah, expect the CIA to come knocking. Well, they have tuberculosis, but anyway, morally complicated film. Takashi Shimura, like, obviously had this drunken angel heart of gold trying so hard to help the town. This just shithole town. He's trying so hard to help them, and he also, like, hates them. Yeah, he hates them. He very clearly hates himself. He's drinking all of his medical alcohol, which is fucked up. You're, like, really not supposed to do that. He talks about that later on when we run into another doctor that was friends with him when they were in school together who, like, has a car, which is already, like, a huge status symbol. It's a car and a driver. He's, like, asking if he has any extra alcohol for his patients because he drank his. Yeah, the guy was like, you're gonna drink it. He's like, no, I won't. And he's like, what happened to you? He's like, I drank it. (laughs) It was good. Yeah, I think the cool thing is that he is trying to help this guy because he sees a lot of himself in him. He sees, like, kind of this moment that he went wrong and he hates himself so much for doing it. Yeah, for being a shitty, aggressive youth. Stop being a dumb idiot and just fix your tuberculosis. (laughs) Yeah, fix your TB and then get a job or something. He's like, my objective is to kill as much as tuberculosis as possible. Yeah, that was cool. He's a warrior. And he's like, well, I guess it would work if you died. And then Tashir Mifune freaks out. I'm surprised he wasn't more worried when he was pulling out the gunshot wound in the beginning. I'm like, you must be getting, like, his blood on you. Isn't he full of tuberculosis? He's coughing right on you. Yeah, I, I thought of that a lot, especially in these times. <laughs> I was like, is that... It's contagious, right? <laughs> like, you get it from people. He clearly got it somehow, which means it spreads. Yeah, it's not chronic that you just develop at some point. All these people are, like, coming into contact with this guy with tuberculosis and, like, no one ever gets it. Yeah, they all got it. They all have COVID-19. They all got it after the credits rolled. That's, like, yeah. the, the sequel that was never made. The whole town epidemic. Uh, everything just surrounding, like, the Homer Simpson pig crap pond. Yeah, they even, like, dump, like, <laughs> rotting vegetables into it at one point to demonstrate. Yeah, I love that they do that, like, in the shot in between the two of them. Oh, yeah, you see it in the background. They're standing on opposite sides of that cart, just, just like, dumping crap into the pond. They should remediate this thing. Like, why did they allow this to happen? It must be the worst. The kids are playing it. He's like, you're gonna get typhus and die. You, please, I'm begging you. Everyone get away from this pond. I really thought, at the end, she was gonna take his ashes and throw them in the pond. I was like, that would have been the perfect ending for Tashiro Mifune's character. Dude, I thought he did, and then I was really surprised when the ashes were still next to her. I was like, is that a continuity error? And I'm like, oh no, he totally just like threw a rock or something. I thought he just chucked his ashes that she spent like 6,000 yen on. He goes to grab it. Unclear why. I mean, I assume that's why. And then stops himself. Yeah, the ending is weird. We'll say that. I feel like a lot of the movie is the back and forth of, let me help you. No, let me help you. No, let me help you. No. And then he finally like... He literally has to get himself drunk in order to actually drop off these x-rays to the doctor because his pride was just, like, getting in the way of it. As a side note, it was very funny to see a Tashir Mifune just blackout drunk. Yeah, and, and I think that that will happen many other times as well, I hope. Okay, good to know. Another Kurosawa thing that was pointed out in the book is downfall begins at the moment of reform. Yeah. Right when he's like, okay, I'm gonna focus on getting better and everything... That's when Okada comes, and he is a scary, scary actor. Yeah. Those eyes are really piercing, and he's got that fedora. The only thing I didn't believe about him is that the woman liked him. They were like, wow, he makes Matsunaga look like a punk. I was like, yeah, because he's this rictus death angel, and Mifune's hot. <laughs> he's dying. He looks like a punk. He's like 40 years younger than him. <laughs> Even though probably they're not supposed to be. Yeah, I was like, how old is this guy? And he only got like four years in prison for like just tearing some dude's face up. I think he's supposed to be like... 35 <laughs> or something. Prison does that to a man. Yeah, but no, he looked like 50. But yeah, he wasn't the big boss, which I was also confused about. He was just someone on the level of Matsunaga for the same turf. 
in the eyes of a greater Yakuza, which you don't learn about until the end. <laughs> and I, I think it's nice, albeit a little contrived, to have him, Okada, have the direct connection to Sonata's assistant, Mio. Yeah. To really complicate things and to, like, necessitate the, these parties, like, converging together. Because I, lo- I really love the scene where a couple of these gang members have been like, I recognize this girl from somewhere. And, like, they always, like, shrug it off and, like, they get away with it. When he finally comes and Mio's hiding in the other room and Takashi Shimura is just, like, beating him with facts and logic about why he would risk his neck for her and all this. He really, like, verbally shuts this down. He's like, he's like do you want me to kill you? He's like, I'm a doctor. I've killed more people than you. I was like, what? Shortly before that, he actually says the words, haven't you heard of equality? I was like, oh, man, King. I'm so much. We all kill people. I was like, if she wanted you, she'd come out here, theoretically, if she was here. But she's not. <laughs> Which she totally isn't. Oh, no, that seemed that was very good. <laughs> yeah, but then, like, that gave Matsunaga maybe his best moment of just coming out for the first time, really being selfless for these other people, and then... Also dying. After he leaves, Sonata's like, okay, I gotta get the cops, because now they're harassing me at my practice and everything, and I'm gonna totally get stabbed. And that's what prompts Matsunaga to go fight Okada, who's been cucking him and stole his girlfriend's. Yeah, he thinks he's going to plead with the big boss and, like, win over. But then he overhears this conversation that reveals that he won't. But, you know, he gets totally wrecked by Okada and the big boss. And then they have, I mean, the most iconic image, I think, from this movie is the knife fight. Yeah. Which is really cool. Although it's a a little weird when they're just kind of, like, two minutes of them just rolling around in paint. I'm like, bro, stand up. Oh, I thought that was great. (laughs) My problem was the three minutes before that when Okada had a thousand opportunities to stab Matsunaga and he just didn't do it. At one point, he's like stuck against a wall and there's like no door. And then it cuts away and I was like, oh, I guess he's dead. And then it cuts back and then people like walk up to the door and then uh, Matsunaga just like stumbles out. And I'm like, how do you get away from that? You're in the corner. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I took it as the kind of thing where like in all these action movies where like they grab the hero by the neck and then they just throw him. I'm like, why is everyone always throwing people? Yeah. Throwing people is a very inefficient way to kill someone who's in your grasp and you could kill them right then and there with a knife. They all had like a thousand opportunities to stab each other. Both of them. All the times. And then just like. Yeah, all the time. Finally, he does the stab and it's like a glancing blow that doesn't make any sense and then he dies instantly. But I really dig the whole lead into the fight. It's this long, empty shot of the hallway when like he walks in and then Nanai, his, his ex-girlfriend, runs out and spills the paint, which sets that up for later. And then, you know, it's just like Sanshiro Sugata part one. There's like all this build up to the fight. Both of them constantly like cutting back and forth, looking at each other. Matsunaga has the knife and Okada's knife is like across the room. All that tension was really good. Yeah, it's a great scene. When they finally fight, it's like a little bit sloppy. But when they're in the paint and everything, it's such a cool image. The white paint on the dark suits. Yeah, that was good. And I think the paint's fine because it like at least puts Okada at a lower level. So the fight's actually a little bit more fair. Because Matsunaga's walking in there like already dead. Like, can barely walk, and I'm like, you could kick his ass if you're a healthy man. Like, this is not looking good for you. So at least, like, they can slip and slide in the paint. Get your tuberculosis cured before you go fight the mob boss. Yeah, he would have won if he was fine. <laughs> he was, like, a really, like, strong guy. You even at one point see his back, and he's ripped as hell. Yeah, I know. I, oh, I, I knew you were going to love that shot. I yeah. loved it. Having him kind of stumble out and die, and he's surrounded by all this blowing laundry, all this really nice movement of the elements contrasting him just, like, laying still dead in the middle of all of it. One of the best shots. Like, I think that is kind of, like, the definition of a Kurosawa shot right there. There's just, like, so much going on in that. It was fantastic. I did think that entire time, all right, now how is he going to fall into the swamp? (laughs) What series of events are going to happen that his body is going to end up in the swamp as he dies? Because I was like, sure of it. It didn't actually happen. (laughs) And it was better the way it was. 
I thought he was going to slide down the roof and it was going to lamp in the swamp blanket, <laughs> but I was like, this doesn't make any sense. The swamp wouldn't be there. In retrospect, that is kind of surprising. We do make the parallels with other things in the swamp. He has that white flower, and when Okada kind of seduces him back to the dark side a bit, he throws that in and it gets totally polluted. Yeah, throws it and you see it, like, boil. That little doll, and then there's that really crazy match-cut dream sequence when it goes from that doll to, like, that wooden coffin. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I forgot about that. That was so... Doesn't that not feel like this movie? Like, it feels like a totally different movie, but, like, yeah. in the best way possible. Akira Kurosawa is just freestyling, and it rules. That was, like, the Star Wars scene from Dagobah. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? Yeah, truthfully. <laughs> and I love that, too. There's, like, no cutting. It's, like, all crossfading. Yeah, yeah. Has an axe on the beach where he's in a full suit. He breaks open this wooden coffin, and then, like, he himself is in there. The moment you see the casket, I was like, oh, he's in the casket. And then you see him, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna bust open the casket and find himself. And then he's like, a zombie chases him. They keep fading it, so it's like, you're seeing both shots together and, like, watching him keep chasing himself. I think that was Loki because they couldn't afford to put him twice in one frame. Well, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, I think that it has a much more dreamy effect with all the fades. It looked great, and it might have even looked better, but I was thinking, I was like, this seems like an easy way to avoid a technical difficulty. <laughs> but no, it rolled. It was very cool. Did you see, like, the clouds in the background? Like, did they edit this in? Like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> this scene is nuts. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous visual. Yeah. No, that scene ruled. I would love to see more of that from him. I don't know if we will. Probably not the same. I know that there will be dream sequences in the future, but like, yeah, we, I don't think we've seen any prior to this. And it's like, again, he's always experimenting with these new ideas, just doing things to improve the film as it stands. Like, we needed to see a little bit more of his internal conflicts because he's a little bit of a confusing character at times when he's just so adamant about not helping himself. In the future, I don't even care if it's a dream sequence or not, just to see, like, something so expressionistic in a Kurosawa film. I thought was exciting. Just him really taking cinema anywhere he wants it and doing something not, you know, realistic in any way, but just like this crazy scenes. That's what I just really liked. I was like, this is what filmmaking's all about to me. Yeah, just just him going off. It was like very Bergman-esque, but you know, years before. Another technique I noticed that one of my favorites is having, you know, the people face in opposite directions when they are disagreeing with each other. I noticed a big one of those in one of the doctor's office scenes. Just like um, a lot of these other films that we've seen so far, comes full circle, we start and end in the swamp. Of course, yeah, like it had to happen. We started there with that awesome opening shot, now we're ending it with what we thought was throwing his ashes in the water, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. A, a kind of confusing ending. It is a confusing ending because it's like, an another thing that Kurosawa will kind of do is have kind of like a commenting chorus, like in, you know, theater. But like, we know that they're wrong. But it, it does kind of feel like we're being told the moral, but the moral is incorrect. The ending is weird. Yeah, on one hand, the little girl's like, curing tuberculosis is so easy. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, oh man. <laughs> um, and he's just like, you can tell he's torn up inside. I also kind of don't like with the ending that like, it's a little inconclusive about what happens with Mio and Okada. Okada is fine at the end of that fight. And then right after Matsunaga dies and everything, the movie starts wrapping up and it's like, well, I thought the point was to keep Okada away from the doctor and stuff. So like, is he going to be fine? Is he going to like, isn't he still going to come and kill him? <laughs> Takashi Shimura did go to the police. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause the cops always solve these kinds of problems in this like shithole town. I don't know. He's a respected doctor kind of. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I wish that they had tackled a little bit more because... You know, I would have liked to see what happens with, with Mio. I, I would have just liked if, like, we knew that Mio, like, got away on, like, a train or something. That girl from the bar became suddenly extremely important character at the end? Yeah, I was like, does she have a name? I don't think she has a name. I don't know. Yeah, you see her in the beginning, and she's, like, 
has a little comment and you're like, oh, maybe she's something. And then she's just kind of in the background for the entire film. And at the very end, it's like, oh, she could have been Mufune's way out, but she just wasn't because he dies. And there's so many scenes in so many different bars. I'm like, I don't even know like which of these I need to remember. Which of these is like gang turf? Which of these aren't? Because like we know, like, and, that, and that's another thing. It's like we start to see how people react to Matsunaga differently after he kind of rushes up against Okada because like they're kind of like this guy he's out it's like instantaneous he doesn't even do anything either he goes to the big boss he like looks frantic and panicked and the big boss is like it's fine I'll handle it buy some eggs he throws money and then he just runs away and apparently that was enough to get him cancelled permanently by the Yakuza cancelled <laughs> yeah, I was like end. damn I didn't know the florist was in on it <laughs> yeah no that was the thing because before that scene <laughs> Every time he goes anywhere until he's extremely sick, everyone's, like, falling over themselves to, like, bow down in front of him. Yeah, wouldn't you? They should justify this better, but I guess they kind of do, because he's just, like, the head of the mob in that territory, so he's the local kingpin, I guess, was why everyone simps for him so hard. Because at first I thought it was because he was hot. The power dynamics of the whole Yakuza thing in this town are a little confusing and a little ill-defined, because we don't see a lot of members. We spend the whole time on his story. Poorly established, I would say. Yeah, there's like those two guys, the one Shamoracle's Fatso, you know, he's like not even that big, yeah. <laughs> like a normal guy. Yeah, so I thought that was weird how the townspeople loved him and would let him do anything he wants, and then there's like a sudden snap where they're like, give me 30 yen for the flower, he tries to kill him. Truly, cancel culture has gone too far. <laughs> I do like, just in a general sense, it's wild that he doesn't get better, that it just ends pessimistically. Hollywood at the time, I don't think you would be able to do that. It is a uh, tragedy, definitely. And, you know, we, we will see more of these. Don't all have happy endings. But, like, it does feel like it's building up to a happy ending, and it's kind of surprising when it doesn't. Well, he, like, almost gets out, and then he doesn't. <laughs> and he has this extreme life fight and then dies. I was like, oh, he's gonna get out. He's gonna kill this guy. It's gonna be okay. They can't let Shiro Mifune die. And they do. They wouldn't kill their golden boy. Spoiler, this isn't the only movie that Toshiro Mifune has a death scene in. <laughs> How are you gonna make me watch these other ones? That's abuse. <laughs> so, favorite shots. My favorite shot was the Michael Jackson moonwalker shot where Toshiro Mifune is standing at the pond and he's leaning against this like giant stake that's in it. Oh yeah, I saw that. I was like, what is he, a piece of paper? He is standing at such an angle. It is unbelievable that his boots wouldn't be slipping in the mud. I love that as like an externalization of just like, wow, this guy is literally a hair's breadth away from killing over completely. Yeah, falling into the swamp. He can't even stand. Even though the swamp is typically really dark, right here it's white to give him more contrast. I just think the whole thing looks really cool and is like a totally emblematic of his whole mental and physical state at the point that this is happening. Yeah, I mean, you see that shot and it tells you everything about what to think at that moment. It's, it's yeah, no, absolutely. That shot rules. So my shot, we talked a little bit about it. My shot looks like shit when you take it out of context, but it is the very first shot of the movie before you even see the credits telling you what's going on. It is just a long shot of the swamp at, like, midnight. And even it's, like, bubbling. You're just looking at the swamp. It's just so gross. Like, far grosser than I expected in a movie. And it's just bubbling. And I don't going in. Like I said, this is going to be a noir. And I was like, oh, there it is. Just this, like, you can tell the whole... I don't even know. But you can tell from that shot, this movie is going to take place in a seedy, shitty part of town. And, like, the swamp is going to be this huge part of the movie. Right from the beginning. I was like, this sets up the movie so beautifully. Yeah, it is a really cool opener. So now, I think it's time to introduce a new bit to celebrate our golden boy Toshiro Mufune being in the films. Yes. It is time for the Toshiro Mufune hotness scale. Hell yeah. He's the most beautiful man to ever grace the silver screen, and it should be acknowledged as such. Exactly my words. 
So every time Toshiro Mufune is in an Akira Kurosawa film that we rate, we're going to rate him on the highness scale. Now, this is kind of hard because he's extremely fucking hot. <laughs> but in this movie, he looks like absolute trash. Kind of. He spends half this movie looking just good as hell, and the other half looking like just, I don't even know. The specter of death. Yeah, like a ghost zombie. <laughs> just so like shit. Yeah, he's like pale as shit, but also like decay. <laughs> hey, that's, that's what I look like. Well... They make it as wild, they just, like, darken his face to make him look, like, pallid and awful. He looks like he's wearing a mask of himself. So, that being said, uh, 8.5. We're gonna be rating these from 1 to 10, but I'm never gonna dip below a 9, so this is, like, a firm 9 for me. Debatably the worst that he'll ever look to, and I, I'm telling you, boy, is he gonna... You liked that nice shot of his back? Oh, boy. Wait till you see a nice shot of the front. I will say, I think he probably looks better with a beard. I don't like him clean-shaven that much. Even though he looked good. He, he will look good with a beard. He'll look good with a big red beard in black and white. Oh, hell yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, spoiler alert for that. That's definitely going to be a 10. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the Toshiro Mufune Hannah scale. But uh, yeah, Drunken Angel, the first of the good movies, which we say facetiously, they've all been good. But this one was better, in my opinion. You could just tell it's such a step up in terms of, like, direction from the previous movies. And One Wonderful Sunday is good. But, like, he's really just going hard in this movie in a way that I, I don't think we've seen from him yet. When I said we're entering the new era of Kurosawa, like, it really does feel like a direct introduction to a lot of stuff that we're going to see. I have just, like, some issues with it when I watch it and stuff. I don't find it as enjoyable. But I do think that it is a really great sampler, like, kind of a summation of a lot of his techniques that we've seen used sparingly in his previous films, kind of all combined into this one. And then that's going to keep happening, rolling over into a lot of others that we're going to watch. As he develops cinematic ideas. Makes sense. Yeah, there's just, like a lot of cool stuff about it it was described as noir probably brashly by the criterion channel because it kind of is kind of isn't i ended up giving it a four out of five i was very between a four and a four and a half i think the ending kind of really being just like off kind of soured me on the four and a half but it, it was a great movie like it had such a mood a tone the whole movie he was just like tackling these crazy complex issues i thought he did a great job so now take it down notch <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think that this is a good one and a really one of the most important kind of milestones in Kurosawa's filmography. Yeah, fuck Rashomon. For me, I had seen it once and I wasn't super impressed with it. And watching it again in, in context, I definitely liked it more. I do have some narrative issues with it that I haven't really had in a lot of these other ones, except for uh, Sancho Sagata Part 2 where the narrative made no sense. Yeah, or I guess <laughs> they were trying the tigers down. I do think that there's a lot to get out of it. For me, it's probably like a, you know, 7 out of 10 for this. And I, I was hoping that on rewatch it would be a little bit higher. I find a lot of it a little too repetitive and a little hard to sympathize with. That's fair. And the ending, I feel like, could be tightened up a bit and kind of needed a little bit more. Oh yeah, it could have been like 10 minutes shorter. There was like a full 10 minutes of stuff where I was like, this didn't need to be in. <laughs> it's a short movie too. I mean, it's only like, it's like under 100 minutes. It races by. I think it has some issues, but it's still, like, really, really reputable and definitely one of the best that we've seen so far. I just, I mean, I'm hoping it's always going to be the case where, like, the movies that I like are going to be lower in my overall ranking because I'm going to keep seeing ones that are so much better. And I just, I think he's just going to continue improving. I mean, I think there's nowhere to go but up from here. So next week, we're going to kind of see, it's a little bit similar to this, actually, but we're going to be tackling The Quiet Duel. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to see it. Well, for all uh, all you freeloaders, you can actually find The Quiet Duel with English subtitles on YouTube. Oh, that's right. Uh, I have the DVD of it, Ish. but um, I'm excited to rewatch this one, too. I, I liked this one a lot when I saw it, and this time Toshiro Mifune is going to be the doctor. Oh, hell yeah. I'm actually very excited to see that. And we're trading out tuberculosis with syphilis. Oh, very good. Just like I did. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to that a lot. 
But yeah, so we'll be back next week talking about the Quiet Duel. Hell yeah. Goodbye. <laughs>